Ag State of Mind, episode 154. This episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast is brought to you by farmingtheweb.ca. Create your first listing today and receive a $15 Tim Hortons gift card. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now, here's your host, Jason Meadows. Are you looking to quickly and efficiently buy or sell agriculture products or get the word out about your ag event? Avoid the headaches of using non-ag marketplaces or classified sites and check out farmingtheweb.ca, Canada's best free classified site designed by and for Canadian farmers. Create your first listing and receive a $15 Tim Hortons gift card. Buy, sell, get back to work. Get started today and visit farmingtheweb.ca. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast, a proud member of the Global Ag Network. As always, I am your host, Jason Meadows, and today we have one of the most special, and I say this every week, but I, I really, truly, 100%, like with the bottom of my heart, mean it this week, is, is one of the most special people I've had on this podcast because it's somebody I listen to her show every week. It has played such a big part in my my faith in God in my t- building my testimony up and we're going to talk to her today about her show not just her show but just her work in general and her name is Ganaling Condi and I found her podcast earlier this year just searching for podcasts to go with our church curriculum and it was the first one I found and I am just so thankful I did it's just been such a blessing to my family so Ganalyn thank you for coming on Jason I'm so happy to connect with you and I mean your listeners can't see us but it's nice to not just see each other on social media but to see each other in zoom land and and have this spirit directed conversation ranchers are near and dear to my heart I grew up uh, in 4-H raising pigs and sheep and people don't really know that about me. So you may get new content that I don't normally share when I get interviewed. So I feel like I can talk about some of the stuff that uh, people don't always know about me. And um, the farmers and ranchers of the world to me are some of the best, most honest, hardworking and without guile people I know. So, well, and, and it is, it's true. And I, and I'm so, I, I, didn't know that about you. So I, I love that that came out too, just right here out of the gate because, uh, yeah. And, and I know Utah, did you grow up in Utah? No, you grew up in California. Didn't no, you? I grew up in California, just outside of about 45 minutes North of Sacramento in a little small farming community called Loma Rica. And it's just outside of Yuba city, Marysville for people that are of our faith. It's where the Feather River Temple is being okay. built and should open in the next few weeks. Um, it's where they had some of the really big fires a couple of years right. ago. Yeah. And, yeah. and um, I, I, I didn't appreciate it as much growing up, but now that I look back at 
it forged certain things within my soul that I needed and, um, took, took a pig to fair, I think three or four years total. And, um, you know, I I had to plan to meet my friends because nobody lived right next door. And, (laughs) you know, I, I think back on those days and, and realized that it was a gift to have space Yeah, and, and to have, um, to have space physically to go outside and be under a tree and, you know, and swing and have to play with your siblings because no one else was around. And yeah, <laughs> so yeah, that, my kids haven't had that life experience. So that's a misconception about California, I find in and I'm probably am just as guilty of it, too. When people think of California, they think of L.A., they think of San Diego, they think of the cities. Yeah. Right. But there is a lot yeah. of rural California. Yeah. I mean, anything northern Davis count Davis uh, north, you know, there's a lot of farming there. Vacaville area north of Sacramento, even, um, you know, after I was married and our son was born in San Diego. So I have lived in some of those more city places. My dad still lives in Sacramento area, but it's funny when I went to college in Idaho, every, I mean, this is, I'm 51. So there was no Google or internet or Google map or Google earth. So I would meet, you know, all these Idaho farm boys and girls, and they assumed everyone in California lived on the beach, Mm -hmm. you know? So they would ask me, what's the, what's the ocean like? And I, I would say, we'll see that big field of potatoes. If you filled it with water, that's what the ocean's (laughs) like. So we could get to the mountains and go skiing within a couple hours and we could get to the beach within a couple hours. So we were kind of in this little pocket, but you know, eventually in high school, we moved to what we call town. We went, moved to town, which is Marysville, Yuba city area, which wasn't that much. I mean, it's big now, but it was still pretty small. And, um, I, I, it was a beautiful way to grow up. I was in a very interfaith community. I was very much the only member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in my friend group. And, and, I feel blessed for that. Everyone valued each other's culture and religion and we were diverse. And the only thing that probably kept everyone connected is everyone played baseball or softball except me. And everyone had a Ducks Unlimited sticker on their truck. So. <laughs> That's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. So honestly, it, yeah. it doesn't sound like a whole lot different from here. I'm I'm yeah. I'm in rural Missouri, about halfway between Springfield and St. Louis. So not super rural, but, uh, you know, we're out here too. And, you know, I, as far as you talk about the church, I didn't grow up in the church. I'm a convert of about 12 years and, uh, which is awesome. I love a good convert. And it's, it's so, (laughs) you know, and I think it does what we were talking about earlier before we started recording about my wife coming into farming and ranching with a, with a fresh perspective, not growing up in it. Well, I kind of sometimes feel that way about, the church too, because I bring a lot of uh, my old experiences outside of the church. And I think that they're, I think it's valuable. I think it's valuable to the overall diversity of the church, having that diversity of thought, because uh, it's really easy to kind of get in these echo chambers. Yeah. And I think too, my stepdad is a convert and I really appreciate the fact that 
if you, if you grow up in the church, you still have to have your own conversion process. Yes. And I've watched my own children were empty nesters now. And so, you know, my son is almost 25 and he's been home from his mission a few years and had his own journey. And, and as my daughters moved out to start college, I just think I've tried to really raise them with the concept that whether you're born in the church or out of the church, you, you need to be working on your conversion every day. And I think our Mm. friends of other faiths and our friends that find our church later in life can teach us that experience um, and perspective, like you said, or else then I think it becomes too cultural based instead of faith based. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm, yeah, we get in trouble when everything's like, the traditions of their fathers and the culture. And this is how we always did it. I think, you know, my husband and I, at the time of this taping, just went to New York for an empty nesters getaway and went to church in the Manhattan ward. And if you've attended that ward, it's, it's a very different cultural feeling. And if you're not careful, you, you think depending on where you're worshiping and what church you're worshiping in, that this is how it is all the time. And if you don't go other places or bring other perspectives, you you lose something. So I really, I always feel really grateful when I have a friendship or a connection with someone that chose in, but I also say those that have been born into the church, they, they also have a, their own conversion story. They have to. You have yeah. to. Yeah, you have to. You know, it's funny. You talk about going to church somewhere else and like having to be careful way it like, culture versus way the way things actually are and i find that even in my where i go to church just in within our state for probably most of the listeners of this podcast are not of our faith so maybe a little bit of uh you know glossary of terms yeah yeah vernacular (laughs) a ward is what you would just call like your church family it's where yeah. it's the people you attend church with every Sunday. Your local your local congregation. Yes, yes. And then a bunch of wards make up a stake, which I'm exa- not exactly sure how that would convert to normal, or not normal, uh, other church language. But uh, it's just kind of a like an area. I think I had, I had lunch with my pastor friend today. Uh, he pastors nine home home churches right now. And, and I think sometimes they have regions and districts. Okay. I okay. guess that would be maybe the equivalent. Okay. But I don't think it's all like if if you have Catholic listeners, I have a lot of good Catholic friends. There's dioceses, right. you yeah. know. Yeah. So a stake or a region, you know, is a combination of wards and then wards turn into to regions. So sure. sure. I'm glad I'm glad your audience is not, you know as a majority of our faith, I, that's, it feels really comfortable for me. I guess I would just say full permission and invitation to your Christian listeners and your Jewish listeners. Maybe we're, you know, the show you are referencing is, is uh, come follow me real talk, but we're studying the old Testament this year and next year, it will be the new Testament. Right. So my co-host and I, John, we both grew out outside of Utah and we're used to being the only members of our faith. Mm, mm-hmm. And we really hoped that this show would be found by other Christians and, and those of Jewish faith that appreciate the Old Testament, because that's what we're talking about every week. You know, we're not, we do use vernacular and quotes from leaders within our church, but I feel like, I mean, Jason, you know, as a listener, I feel like it's a 20 minute shot in the arm, oh, whether yeah. you're of our faith or not. Yeah. Yeah, and like I find myself listening to it multiple times in the same week. Like, so 
a lot of times I'll listen to it either on my Monday morning or my Tuesday morning run. And I'll just have it on repeat, you know, because mostly like the episode isn't long enough for one run, but yeah. you know, I can usually get most of it in within two times, you know, so and it's, it's fun yeah. to listen to it again. And it like, and I like to go back and review it as I study my come follow me throughout the week. And again, more of this vernacular come follow me is our, our curriculum that is church wide. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it, it's home, it's home, home-based and church, church supported. So the responsibility is on each of us to study it. And, you know, you mentioned the time slot, like a lot of people, when they find the show, they want us to go longer. Yeah. And I always say the, the thing that sets us apart from all the other come follow me resources and podcasts and shows is that we're, we try to hit 20 minutes. And the reason people are still listening to us in the summer is because we're 20 minutes. So even though people want us to be longer, the really reason they stay with us all year is because they can, they can listen in 20 minutes instead of some of the other shows I'm not taking away from them, but they have their place and they're, some of them are a couple hours long and people are busy. And so we really wanted this show to be real life, like the real conversations around scripture and what God sees we're wrestling with in our lives. And, and whether you're a student of the Bible or not, Bible stories are not for the faint of heart. Like I always say, if they were on Netflix, they'd have, they'd have an M rating, you know, I mean, yeah, they're, for sure. they're hard, they're hardcore, but especially old Testament, Jason, I'm going to be honest with you. This is our third season. And usually by about, you know, I would say by May, May, June of whatever we're studying and presenting on the show, I feel like I'm in the rhythm of that. Like, I feel like I get it. I'm in the rhythm. I feel like when I go to prepare for the next taping, I've got, I've got my feet in the swimming pool of that book of scripture. We're in. I mean, we're taping this now right end of September and September, I still feel like every time I go to prep for the old Testament, I'm like, God, I need you to speak loud to me because that's the other challenge of doing a 20 minute show is sometimes I'm coming, combing through 18, 20 chapters of content that's assigned for that week. And I'm trying to plead with God, tell me the two or three things that Cause my co-host has stuff he's going to share that feels like real life and, and is the cream of, you know, scriptures that feel relevant. And, and you know what I'm going to say to you, Jason, I'm, I'm taping again tomorrow. I, I, every time I feel like the adversary is like, you know, uh, you don't have anything to offer. You don't understand the scriptures because John's my new co-host this year, but my first two seasons, I was a co-host with another seminary teacher, which vernacular wise, that's a religious teacher for teenagers, but it's during school day. So it's not on Sunday. And so in Utah, we have a lot of seminary teachers that are paid full time. Well, John is also a seminary teacher. So both my co-hosts have spent years professionally teaching these books of scripture and being paid for it. And I have not been that, uh-huh. you know? And so... So you might, you yeah. probably feel a little bit of imposter syndrome. A little bit. And, and and sometimes I feel like, am I contributing to the conversation? Because I really love talking about the scriptures. And I feel like, I mean, I've been, I have 
my 11th book comes out in a couple mm-hmm. weeks and that's in the last nine years. I've hosted four weekly shows. I've given 5,000 keynotes all over the world. I've been interviewed on podcasts like this. I do monthly live television. I mean, I, I feel like I've, I'm a student. I feel like I've learned a lot, but, but these, but these guys are, they've already prepped it many, many times Mm -hmm. and prepared it many, many times. And so sometimes I have to face my own insecurities. And I don't think I've ever said that on a podcast before, but I'm not, I'm not embarrassed to share that. Like I have to really wrestle with my why and the feedback we get from viewers is that they appreciate both of our perspectives and that the things that, you know, I share are coming from a perspective of the tired mom that's been up with a baby all night or the, you know, the farmer that's like out in his podcast earbuds in and, and he's not sure how to put food on the table and pay the bills. They're not students. They're not full-time professional scriptorians either. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, in, in like sitting in a Sunday school lesson, some of the most like fascinating people are people who they have no formal training. You know what I mean? I mean, they're, they're, they're people like me, they're people, they're doctors, they're farmers, they're bankers, they're people that, and I think that's, what's really incredible and really special about our church is the fact that it's, it's a lay ministry and there's no, there's no pastor, there's no preacher. I mean, uh, you know, we have a bishop and his counselors and, and that sort of things, but there, there are other things too. You know, my, yeah. our bishop is one of my best friends and he's also a physician's assistant at the hospital I work at too, you know, so he, vol- he, it's all volunteer. Yeah. And when it's all volunteer, it's like, be nice to your bishop. Who's a plumber by day. And he's never been a bishop before, you know, or in our church, the, the, the leader that's over the women's organization is called a relief society president. She's, she's maybe never been in leadership before. Right. right? I teach, I teach relief society once a month. And so I'm, I have a teaching degree, mm-hmm. you know, so for me, it feels very comfortable, but I've had other callings in, in our church that are, are completely out of my comfort zone. My scariest calling, I, I share it in one of my CDs is uh, when I was called to lead the music and primary, which is our children's organization. And I sound really good in my car, Jason, singing to Adele and John Denver, but I do. And Bon Jovi, those are my top choices right there, but I don't have a really great grasp or gift with music. And my son and my daughter and my husband are all three really musically gifted. And that was the scariest, like I can speak in front of 5,000, 8,000 people. And I've done that. I don't even sweat. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, it feels so comfortable and natural for me to be there, but when they called me to stand before the little kids, which is basically, uh, three years old to 11, I was scared to death. And I only said yes, after much prayer and fasting and wrestling and pleading with God. And it ended up being the greatest blessing of my life, but And it was during a time, I mean, if we want to talk about this, it was just following my sister's suicide Mm -hmm. and I was grieving. I didn't, I didn't understand grief like that. I had lost a sister before when I was 10, my little sister, Bonnie died at the age of almost two. So I had grieved before I had lost my grandparents, you know, but I had never grieved that way. Suicide grief is really unique and for the first time I was like, yeah, 
I don't know if I really want to be at church. Hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't really no offense, but you know, when you're grieving, that's it like becomes the lens you see a lot around you. And I have my own mental health stuff and, and I was trying to get my son graduated from high school and hopefully out on a mission for our church. And, and I just thought, okay, I see for the first time why, like some people it's like, I don't, nobody's understanding what I'm going through at church or if they do, I don't know what to say to them either. You know, it was just a lot. And when I had that responsibility to show up in front of those babies every Sunday, they didn't care, you know, what state of mind I was in. And they, they were patient with me while I messed up leading the music (laughs) and I messed up every Sunday and they just loved me right where I was at. And I was able to heal, you know, over the months and find my space with them. And I would hug them every week and I'm a big hugger and write them personal notes and, and they love me back the way children love you, you know, and they put up with me, not leading the music very well. And, (laughs) and so God sometimes pushes us up mountains that we don't want to climb because he knows when we get to the top, we're going to find the new perspective and, and we heal that way. That's, I mean, for those that understand Bible stories, that's why I love the story of Abraham and Isaac, which we discussed this year Mm -hmm. on real talk. You know, Abraham's had a crazy wackadoodle dad that tried to sacrifice him. And people don't really know that about the story of why would God then ask Abraham to sacrifice his son when that was his PTSD? Right. Yeah. And I mean, literally what kind of loving God makes you go do the trauma that you live through as a kid. And yet in God's wisdom and mercy and love by making Abraham climb that mountain with Isaac and then have the bullock in the bush, right? right. And come back down and discern that he had heard God and God said, no, and that's not what you need to do. It's the same. What I teach with trauma recovery is that you walk through that trauma with a new perspective. You come down the trauma mountain with that, with that freedom of healing at one more layer. I'm not saying it's one and done. Like it's sometimes 50 times up the mountain. Right. So I just share that with, with your listeners that, you know, sometimes I think God does, especially when we're grieving, ask us to give back in unique ways so that we can heal. And at the time I, I wasn't happy about it. (laughs) So, and and I've asked, we have this kind of, it's not really a series, but it's, it's, I'm talking to several people about this sort of thing, about how, you know, your faith intertwines with your treatment of your own mental health and, and, and being mentally healthy. And I, I've been asking that, does, was there ever a time like where you questioned the existence of him, of God? Well, Jason, I'm going to tell you that the last nine months, you probably caught this on Real Talk when I talked about bagels. That was just a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago. I don't know if you got that mm-hmm. episode where there's there's been way harder times in my life where my husband was unemployed. My lupus was out of control. We were going through infertility. My sister dies by suicide. I mean, lots of hard times where you would think that's when I wrestled with is God there, Mm -hmm. but the last nine months has been harder and there weren't things outside of me happening that were hard. Like there wasn't this big loss. We weren't struggling financially. 
you know, there's been a lot of change physically for me. There's been change. Our family's going through changes professionally. Things have gone through a lot of transition, but I found myself the last few months feeling like the bars on your phone, when you don't have all four or five bars of reception and you only have like one or a half a bar and you're kind of hearing someone on the other line, but every other word is like bagels (laughs) or it's being cut off. That's where I feel like I've been with God. And I'm starting this summer. I really was intentional about my mental health. I was hitting some burnout. My 10th book came out in May. I've pushed it pretty hard. I've worked really hard the last nine years. And I gave myself permission to really say no to more for the, for the summer. Cause it was my daughter's last summer home before she moved out to go to college. And I wanted to be available, even though she wasn't around a lot, she was off being independent. Mm -hmm. And I knew I needed to be still and, and rest to hear God louder. And, but I, I will be honest. It's hard when your business is talking about God and every third word from God feels like bagels, (laughs) you know? And when I finally, I talked about it on the show openly, there were, there have been some really personal wrestles with Am I even hearing you? Like, are you there? Because I think the world, the world's perception of me is that I have a special phone that God and I talk on every day, (laughs) that he texts me all the time. And it wasn't that I wasn't getting revelation when I was speaking at a pulpit or taping the show. I could feel God in the studio, but not at the level. And I would just say that that for me is a pattern that God trust his children with, and it's the growth cycle and it happens to all of us. And when it's happening for a longer period of time than it did before. And that's what happened to me this year. I, there was a point it started to shift a little when I realized that I needed to talk about it more out loud with, I was talking about it with like a few of my closest faith friends, Mm -hmm. but I needed to share it with my kids and I needed to talk about it on the show and I needed to be more open about it because the perception publicly of me on social media or on the shows or from my books is that somehow I'm walking with God. We're hanging out all the time. He's sitting with me on my bed. He texts me every day. And the reality is, is I work really hard to have and to foster that relationship with God, but I've learned the growth cycle. And that is that, you know, you have these moments, mother Teresa talks about it where she feels like she talked with Jesus. And then for the rest of her life, if we study the life of mother Teresa, she didn't feel God close for the rest of her life. In fact, she suffered from some severe depression in her journals and her letters to her mentor, where she thought God had abandoned her. And she went on to do all this great work and build these orphanages and serve the people of Calcutta and do all these amazing things. You know, I haven't gone a whole lifetime of those spaces, but when we have those, like in our faith, Joseph Smith first vision experiences or mother Teresa or visions or spiritual experiences where we're converted or we feel God close, that high feels like it's never going to go away because it feels like pure love and it feels like light and it feels like truth. And there's nothing like it. It's like, no one's going to get me to doubt God because look at how clearly this miracle happened in my life. Right. 
and that goes for a while and then it levels out. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you hit a wall Mm -hmm. and every time in the growth cycle, that wall hits and then that space between the wall and the breakthrough again, depending on where your growth is happening, that's where the faith is built. That's the sweet spot. And so I know that logically, but emotionally and spiritually, that's when I really suggest to people, you better surround yourself with faith friends. And what I mean by that is your faith friends are not necessarily your bestest friends that you want to travel with, that you vote the same, that you root for the same sports team, that you eat the same food. Maybe they are, but maybe they aren't. Faith friends are the people that have worked through their own growth cycle Mm. and they have developed their own toolbox and they know what your heart is really like. Mm. My faith friends know my ugly stuff. They know my true why they know my heart and my desire. And so I often say, and I've posted this on social before, that when I forget the words to the song of my soul, my faith friends can sing it back to me. And so during the last year, when I've hit some pretty dark spots and it wasn't because there was big, bad, hard cancer diagnosis or unemployment or, or my kid was in prison or it wasn't that it was this, this space, this cycle space of growth where God was trusting me to not feel him walk so close. Yeah. What will we do in that space? Yeah. I mean, I think the same thing can be said in marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell my kids all the time, marry your best friend because friendship and faith get you through some stuff yeah. in a marriage. Yes. And I've been married 31 years and we're not the same two people of 31 years ago. Yeah. And friendship and faith has gotten us through when we don't always like each other or we don't always want to hang out, you know? And so part of what we love about 31 years later as empty nesters is we've made it through those spaces where it's flat Mm -hmm. and there's nothing and you don't feel like it, but you do it based on commitment. Well, for me, God is a relationship that I care about. And so Sometimes I just have to tell myself what I know because I'm not feeling it. And faith friends have been really instrumental. I would also suggest to your listeners this last year, I've tried it a lot to answer your question where I have to write out my prayers. Mm. And these are in journals that are never going to be shared. Mm -hmm. Like I burn them and throw them away, right? Like this isn't keep your journal, pass it down to your grandkids kind of journal. It's your write out everything. And I write it like a letter, dear heavenly father, you know, this is what's going on. I don't feel you near. I don't know why this is happening. You know, I feel frustrated. I'm in comparisons. I know I should be in stewardship, but I know I should be thinking about offerings, but I'm focused on outcomes and the outcomes don't look good. Mm -hmm. And my neighbor's outcomes look way better. You know, be honest with your heavenly parents because I mean, that's what really connection brings. And so I don't, I don't ever doubt that he's there. But after Meg died, the rubber hit the road. Like I had to really get clear. Do I really believe what I say I believe? Mm-hmm. Because that grief was like nothing other. Right. And the nightmares went on for months. My brother found my sister at my parents' home. It was ugly. I planned her funeral. I buried her. And when was, when was this? 
So 2014, March, and that's my brother found her on my mom's birthday. She'd been gone for a couple of days. When we placed her headstone was the day Robin Williams died. And so I feel like a lot of people remember that day when I tell them like timestamp, like the whole world felt suicide grief when Robin Williams died. Like everyone was like, wait, what? He's the happiest. Yeah creative who would think you know and so it is a it is a crazy grief but i feel her close a lot she she's my partner in this work you know my new book the stewardship principle talks a lot about different stewardships you have a stewardship as a pharmacist and a rancher and a husband and a father and and my one of my stewardships is you know an author and a speaker and a mother and a wife a lupus warrior but one of my big whys is a mental health advocate. Mm-hmm. I will always talk about it. And especially in faith communities, communities, I've spoken in lots of different churches, not just my church. Um, I get invited by other churches to come talk about mental health from a faith perspective, because sometimes in faith communities, we're not good about it. Right. We're like, we don't know how to grieve really well. And we don't know how to talk about mental health because we know Jesus, you know? So right. yeah. <laughs> we, we think like, well, we got the Bible and we've got Jesus. And, you know, you and I have other even books of scripture, the Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants. So why do we need to go to a doctor, go to a therapist, be on medication? And I might, we, he made those two. Like that's, that yeah. is my answer, yeah. you know, to that. And anytime somebody says that, like, well, wait, you know, they didn't have this whenever ago. And I said, yeah, but you know, it sure is. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they did. Yeah, they did. I mean. You know, our, our ancestors were dealing with depression and anxiety, but we didn't, we didn't know why aunt so-and-so all of a sudden died or why uncle so-and-so never got out of bed or why so-and-so got sent off to the hospital and they never came back again. I mean, we, we had it. We just just didn't didn't, have words. Yes, correct. That is a hundred percent correct. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and you mentioned something else there that kind of, um, I know that you're, you know, and you kind of brought, you really brought up a big why of why you're a mental health advocate. But then uh, this is something Carrie wanted me to ask you is, okay, what is your- Carrie? Shout out to Carrie who doesn't always listen. <laughs> right, she, so she, she might is listen. listening to this one. I promise. Okay, <laughs> okay, said, Carrie. Hey, <laughs> send me love, girl. She, she wanted to know. You know, obviously, she wanted to ask about the why of being a mental health advocate, but also your why of being an addiction advocate. Oh, well, I mean, my sister dealt with a lot of people ask the why of why she died by suicide. And I'm going to just say this briefly. Suicide is a complicated issue. Mm-hmm. And um, I could give you a lot of, uh, of, of what was her risk factors, Meg's risk factors. But I could also give you a long list of, of what we call insulators and insulators for, for the world include faith. And so it's not a specific faith religion. It is faith. Faith communities have been known to be a good insulator for our mental health. So like, if you think of insulators for the old electrical telephone poles, if lightning hit, I have them on my desk. I I think I've shown them on the show before, but I have a collection of them. My stepdad collects them and I have quite a few on my desk because I believe that in mental health and in our faith, we need to protect what we have. And so addiction is one of the risk factors. Mm, mm-hmm. 
So Meg dealt with some addictions. Mm -hmm. She dealt with learning disability. She dealt with mental health issues. And she was also a victim of sexual abuse and uh, from a babysitter. And so one of the things I say is that there's, there's lists that we can make of what puts people at greater risk. The other thing that puts people at greater risk is if you lose someone close to you to suicide. Mm. So all of my family members became higher risk when Meg died by suicide. And, and the same happens within church communities, within schools, within, within neighborhoods. When someone dies by suicide, I speak in schools a lot and we're doing better about this, that that whole like obituary where we don't want to really talk about how someone died doesn't work Mm, mm -hmm. by talking about it. It doesn't increase the chances people know when someone dies by suicide, when we don't talk about it, we add shame. Mm, And when mm. we add shame, then we up our risk. Addiction is a constant cycle of shame. Yeah. If we don't address it. And one of the things I feel about addiction that is crucial. And I watched it with Meg and others. And even in my own self, we all have something that we numb away from. So some addictions become problematic for your daily functioning and your life and your intimacy and your relationship with God and others, because it violates your values. Other addictions in the world are celebrated. So if you're addicted to working out, (laughs) that sometimes doesn't get called out, Right, right? Like everyone's like, oh my gosh, you're running another marathon. And everyone's liking your post on social media. But if you're using working out as a numbing to avoid, you know, the, the real range of emotions that we all experience as humans, and it's becoming a block or a, a hindrance in your relationships yeah. and it's escape, you know? So I think that when we talk about addiction, it erodes the cycle of addiction erodes a sense of self and it feeds like a river into suicide. And so I think when we talk suicide prevention, we really do have to address what, what addiction recovery looks like. I just get, gave my second interview on Todd Sylvester's belief cast podcast. It's amazing. And he's a recovering addict and I write about him in the suicide or in the stewardship principle. And he and I were discussing this. He had tried to attempt and had planned a suicide. And he has this whole beautiful story, but he just shared something with me when he interviewed me for his podcast. And he said, being in recovery and clean is, you know, whatever your period of addiction is before you started that addiction was your true self that period of addiction Mm. in addressing that when you're in, when you're clean and when you're in recovery, you're returning to your original self. And what I love about Todd is he doesn't hide the fact that he went through addiction. I mean, pretty hardcore, lost his basketball scholarship, tried to kill himself. I mean, pretty bad overdose multiple times. And he's turned around and now works in addiction recovery, right? So I would just say, first and foremost, do check yourself. Where are you addictive in your life? Where are you numbing? And, and if you're spending a lot of time doing things that socially are acceptable, sometimes it's harder to catch. Yeah. Yeah. Alcohol, alcohol, drugs, porn, uh, gambling, those tend to show up in your life. Food. Sure. 
but some of the other ones, I, I think Brene Brown has done a beautiful job of saying we're all addicted to numbing. Mm, mm-hmm. And so I think there's a place for all of us to have empathy with each other, especially when we maybe haven't had addiction take us to the places where it's taken. It took Meg at times and other family members and friends of mine to really dark places. But is that the, also the space you could give back? Like, you know, what I love about Todd is he acknowledges and he doesn't work from a place of shame, but he also doesn't over-identify that this is who he is forever. He's returning to when he stays working his tools and in therapy and working his program and doing the things he needs to do. He's returning to the Todd that is the true Todd. Yeah. And I love that concept because I think it's very hopeful. It's very honest about where you've come from, but it doesn't keep you there. Yeah. And I think that's the thing about, sadly, the thing about addiction is that is something I think probably every person listening to this podcast, I mean, if you want to get real about it, probably experiences themselves at some point, because you just said we're all addicted to something. But we've had people, so many people who have just had those um, ones that get out in front of you, like, you know, the, the drugs, porn, porn. drugs. Yeah. Those like, I think, I mean, gosh, I, I hate to say it. You know, there's probably a third of my high school, you know, that that was yeah, the case. Yeah. And in where you live, it was it opiates. Not yet. Opiates didn't really start till probably four or five years after I was out of high school. It was, it was methamphetamine. That was the big, you know, it's so funny that, um, it's not funny. It's very sad, actually. Um, that was never like opiates were, that was never something that I even considered like to be even ever be an issue where we lived. Right. It was always methamphetamine. Meth was number one. Like that was the thing. And now, I mean, you'd, <laughs> you would, you would probably rather somebody be, I mean, it's, kind of on meth. Yeah, yeah yeah it's kind of morbid as that sound you would much rather somebody yeah. be on meth than you would on on oxy. oxy or fentanyl or i mean shoot you can buy heroin here too yeah. you know and it's just yeah. it blows my mind yeah. the way things yeah. have transformed here in my little small town well I, i'm gonna say to the those that are struggling with addiction i think one of the things that overlaps with mental health suicide prevention and addiction that's important is the number one group dying by suicide are middle-aged men. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the reality of that means podcasts are crucial to, to creating awareness and connection because a guy is going to be out hunting or on the farm or at his office or at the gym listening to us talk right now and may not have ever admitted to anyone close to him that he's having thoughts of self-harm or 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 like full-blown depression, anxiety, long-term. The reality is men generally, when I get phone calls or messages to support family members that have lost a dad or a husband or a grandpa, oftentimes one of the, one of the final straws is, is that something's come out that they're ashamed of. Yeah. And so whether that was an affair, a business deal, something, right? Uh, addiction feeds into that. 
And so one of the lies that I really try to target when I speak about mental health is that my life isn't better without Meg. And I knew her probably better than anyone as her big sister. And I knew where she felt like she had failed one too many times and her family was sick of her and her friends. And we, we did all we could. My mom works through her own mental health stuff every day still. And the reality is addiction starts to really be so loud that you're a failure, that you're worthless, that it becomes the controlling factor. And so it feeds that story that the world would be better without you. It also feeds the cycle of depression and anxiety because your, your, your nervous system is always battling against the numbing of the addiction and then coming out of that. Right. And so I think when we talk about men's mental health, especially we have to talk about addiction because when we start to address the addiction, especially within 12 step communities, there becomes language around honesty and connection and vulnerability so that the shame gets put to bed. Mm. And when that happens, suicide rates go down. Mm -hmm. They just do. And the behavior starts to become more in line with what people value. Like nobody wants to be a crackhead. Mm -hmm. No one wants to be embezzling money from their business to feed their gambling habit. Nobody wants to cheat on their wife because their, their sex addiction has gotten out of control and they're hiding their phone all the time. Like if you sit down with anyone, that's not their dream life. <laughs> right, right. Right. Of course. Yeah. Right. So you can see why it, it's easy to feel like we've trapped ourselves when we're involved in secret behaviors that make us think the only option out is suicide. Mm. And I'm going to tell you and your listeners, there is nothing out there. I mean, I'm going to quote someone in our church. You, you can't do anything bad enough to go so far that God's love can't reach you. Yeah. And that's a paraphrase from Elder Jeffrey R. Right. Holland. Yeah. But there's nothing you can do. And the reality is that doesn't mean you're not going to have consequences. So say you're listening to this podcast and you're feeling uncomfortable because we're talking about you and you know we are, and you're having thoughts of self-harm because you don't know how to get yourself out of the mess you created. And you have so many secrets that you don't know how to get out of the secrets. I would just say that is, no matter what the consequences might be, we're not going to be better without you. Yeah. Without yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so my, my answer is, is that no matter what box you think corner, you think you've painted yourself in or what box you think you're trapped in because of the choices you've made. And that if anyone really knew who you were and what you had done, that there's no way they could forgive you or love you, or you could never build, rebuild. That's a lie. I'm not saying there's not consequences. And I'm not saying some of the consequences aren't really hard, sure. you know, sure. But the reality is there is always a path forward. And I promise you the pain that is left behind. I mean, we're approaching year nine with Meg mm -hmm. in March mm -hmm. of next year. My life isn't better. The grief is still there. Right. There is a reality that doesn't go away once, once someone you love is gone. And I also know that there is a ton of research out there where people that have survived suicide attempts on the Golden Gate Bridge 
the minute they jumped, they knew they had made a mistake. Mm -hmm. There's full research on this and that they've reported happiness. They never thought possible the moment they were going to jump. And so as bad as it feels, whatever the addiction is telling you, whatever hopeless feelings you're having, I really believe that hope is a plan B and there's a plan B. There's a plan B in addiction. There's a plan B in depression and anxiety. There's a plan B for OCD. There's a plan B for ADHD. There's a plan B, you know, and sometimes you're on plan Z and you're starting the alphabet all over again. I mean, that's what hope is. Right. That's what I teach. Yeah. And that's why I do these podcasts. This is why I do a weekly show. This is why I write books. This is why I speak. It's because, you know, you never know when one listener is like, wait, what? Yeah. Yep. Yep. She's talking to me, yep. you know? Yep. You, you, and you said something back a little bit that I wanted to, I wanted to circle back to. And, and it's the whole reason I even started this podcast is because there are so many men, not to just, not to just single any, but there's so many men. No, men, we're going to single you out, man. Thank you. I'm glad you said it. (laughs) That are just, they're so, it's not that they, I mean, some of it, it is, they just don't want to talk about, but some just don't even know that it's an issue, right? Like, and I think I was probably there, you know, six, seven years ago. Like I, I was so far removed from it. I didn't even know what the issue was. But then yeah. that's when I started digging and realized like, I had problems. I had anger management issues. I had lots of things that I just, I, I really had to, to come to terms with. Uh, you know, I'm not perfect, obviously, um, but I've obviously, I've gotten better. And I wanted to be, like you said, there's that somebody out there with the ear pods in that they're, they, they don't know what, what's going on necessarily. And, and I always say, and pretty much any interview I give about my podcast is I don't necessarily want to be where you like end up or like, this is the only place you go to get any sort of mental health therapy or, or any sort of advice or, or, or just listen to, but I really would love it if this is where you start. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I say when I go into the schools and when I speak that my job as a speaker is to start the conversation. If you find one of my books and it starts a conversation that to me, mental health is health and I work on my health every day. And so there's never a one and done. Yeah. There's never a one and done. And I love what you said, Jason, that you didn't even know what was going wrong. Like, honestly, I I celebrate when men post on social media like you do or or have conversations with me when I'm on an airplane going to go speak somewhere. Usually a business guy is like telling me his all of his deepest worries and no one knows about them. And I'm like, okay, now your job is to go home, tell someone that you live with all the stuff you Mm -hmm. just told me. Mm -hmm. But when, but when a guy sits down at the dinner table or he goes to work at lunch and he tells his coworker, I went to therapy today with telemed possible now because of the pandemic, you can, you can go to therapy and not, you don't need to get a babysitter. You don't need to take off work. You can take a lunch break, go sit in your car, pull up your phone and have a therapy session. Like, I, I think if we can normalize that and when men mm-hmm. talk about what they're doing to try to get words for their feelings, that empowers their kids and their neighbors and their cousins and their coworkers to go do it. Yeah. 
I mean, as a woman, if I talk about it, great. But when the men in my life are like, you know what? I'm not feeling myself and I need to get some support. Two men in my life close to me have recently said, you know what? I need some additional support. And I have tried to celebrate that over and over to them. Like, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for giving permission to everyone that loves you by your example of saying, I don't know what's wrong, but I think I need some support. Mm -hmm. Men are conditioned and culturally, we have done this as well to make it like, your job is to take care of us mm -hmm. and your job is to fix it. And your job is to have the answers. Mm -hmm. And that is counterintuitive to mental health. It just is mm -hmm. because the reality is, yes, I love that my husband's a provider and that he is steady and that he cares about me and he's loyal and he's supportive, but he's a human being. Mm -hmm. And if I really want to have an intimate connection with him, then he has to have room to say, I'm not doing okay. And that gives me permission to say, I'm not doing okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So men out there, you are providing for your family when you go to therapy. I mean, I don't know a better way I can say it than that. No, you're right. And it, it takes some, it takes strength to do that. You know, I think we, yeah. I think we've had this just misconception that it's strong to just push through it and strong to yeah. kind of ignore it, but no, that's actually not strength. The strength is when you actually do something about it. And I had a really beautiful conversation with one of my oldest friends in the world last week. You know, we don't, we don't aren't as close as we probably were. He does listen to my, my podcast though. So I, I do know he'll be listening to me when I say this. But we had a sit-down conversation driving around in his truck last week just a, about this kind of stuff, about how we both – I mean, I have I, – I, I still go to therapy regularly. I, I have – Yay! I have, Therapy's the best. It is. I have a – you know, and I do. I go through a telemedicine, and it, it, it is – I have one on the – I have one on tomorrow. Like, it's not – like, I'm not in a, I'm not in a crisis mode at all like i'm very stable i'm very peaceful right now but i still go because that's what keeps you from getting to that stage and i think that's what i think it's really important to normalize that in getting to where it's you don't have to be on the edge to go to therapy it doesn't have to be something that is just like the last resort no it needs in fact be on the other side of that, it needs to be yeah. the, probably the first thing you do. Well, the way I say it, if your cousin's listening, I think you were starting to say something to your cousin, but I believe that therapy is education and no one is embarrassed about getting more education. If I told you, Jason, I'm going to go and get another degree. You wouldn't be like, that's so embarrassing. Gainolin. Don't tell anyone that you're going back to college to get another degree. <laughs> we would never say that to each other. Right. To me, therapy is education for my mind mm -hmm. and my heart and my relationships. So why are we embarrassed about getting education? It's education. That's all it is. And so I would just say, be proud of the education yeah. that you're getting. Yeah. And I, and again, it's, it's hard sometimes. It's really hard to yeah. talk about it yeah, because yeah. there is just such a, it's work. Yeah. It is. I mean, just like going to school is work. Yeah. Like my kids are both back in college and they're working hard at it. Yeah. It's not like a vacation. It's not going to therapy. Isn't sitting on the beach. No. It's work. And it's like it. some really hard things come up 
I mean, it's, it's painful sometimes, but you, you got to know what the, the good that comes on the other end of it. And I, you know, and I used to never, there really me talking very openly about therapy, even before, even after I started this podcast, it, it hasn't been really till the last year where I really have found a lot of value in therapy. And, you know, I, I had to have someone I matched up with really well. And I think that's, yeah. that's a big thing that people don't. Well, let me say this on that is that just for the women listening. Okay. This is a little shout out to the women. Cause I don't think the guys re- relate to this analogy as well for the women out there. We've had bad haircuts. Let me just say that. <laughs> I know guys have had bad haircuts, but women it's complicated. They put color on it. They do all this crazy stuff. And if you go to someone and they mess up your hair, you don't say, I'm never going to get my hair done again. You post on social media. You ask your friends, who do you go to? You try someone else. The same is for therapy or your dentist or your car mechanic. Like it's the same thing. It might take a bit for you to find your match. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's an incredible analogy. Like, yeah. It's just because, and I, and I was, I'm guilty. I was guilty of it because I had some that were just, yeah, it was okay. But then after like four or five sessions, it was like, this just doesn't feel right. And then I, I would yeah. go like, I would go years in between, but now I've seen like, and now I've gotten one who is just, just gets me and that's very nice. And it's, and like I say, it, it, that, that part of it can take work, but it's, it's worth the search. It's worth the work. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Well, I appreciate your time here tonight, Ganolin. This is like, I seriously don't care. I mean, obviously I want people to listen to this podcast, but this one was for me tonight. I mean, I'm going to be totally honest. Like it was, it was for me. Like, and, and what was really cool about it is you offered yourself like that that meant the world to me. And I, I really appreciate you. Doing well, that. I am so supportive of you for everything we've talked about today. I'm so grateful. You're the one facilitating it because it makes a difference when, when men stand up and say, my faith matters, my family matters, my mental health matters. And I want to have conversations around it. It gives permission. Yeah. And I'm just going to throw it out there that someday I hope we meet in person. If we can get a good sponsor, I'll be out to Missouri anytime and, and we'll, we'll get all your ranch and buddies together and have a a face-to-face conversation. I would love it. That would be incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That would be really great. So thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the support of the work I'm doing. Thank you for your own efforts to keep healthy and yeah. I, you know, for me, God is the way I make it through all the hard stuff. I know for other people, it's not God and that's okay. I think in 12 step, they make space for that. And I think in 12 step, they talk about higher power, something bigger than you. So if you can't believe it's God, then can you just believe that there's something bigger than you that's keeping you on the, on the planet? So you don't float out into space and know that you're not alone. And that's why I do these podcasts, because for me, it's all about the one. If one person listens to our conversation, Jason, and wants to go to therapy or tells the truth to their loved one about what they're dealing with, or they break the secret and, you know, it, to me, it's worth it. 
Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks. You're welcome. I appreciate it. And uh, where can people find you online? So I have the strangest name on the planet, Gainal Lynn. And And honestly, that was going to, that actually was supposed to be my first question. And I never, (laughs) I didn't ask it. So I appreciate it. Well, it was my great grandma's name was Gainal. My mom's middle name is Gainal. And then my parents decided to add the hyphen and the Lynn, which just confuses people even more. But if you search for me, Google knows that I have the weirdest name. So Google's so good about helping you find me. That's the only <laughs> good part about having a really different name. Sure. So my website has all the links to all my social media accounts, but um, people can find me on anything. So if you're on Twitter or LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook, I have a YouTube channel that has all my shows. And if I do anything digital, this episode will be up there. So, but my website is kind of the one-stop shop. Sure. And it's got two L's in the name, no hyphen, but gainalin.com. And I, I would love to hear from your listeners. I It means a lot when people reach out and say, I heard you on a podcast and you said what what I wasn't, I didn't know how to say. And, and that happens every time. And that's not because of me. The glory goes to God. He's yep, my boss. 100%. Yep. That's who I work for. And mm-hmm. And if ever I stop doing this work, it's because he says you're done and, and you won't see me anymore around these parts, but I, I work for him and I'm grateful for the stewardships he's given me because I feel like we all have ways in which we make the world different and better. And it doesn't all have to look the same, you know, I mean, Mm-hmm. I, I think it would be so boring if everyone was a podcaster and everyone was an author and everyone was a pharmacist. That would be sure. pretty boring, yeah. right? So, right. yeah, for sure. So, thanks for having me, Jason. It's a joy to meet you. Hug your wife for me. I will. And we'll just say that someday it will be in person in Missouri. How about that? Well, actually, it might be in Utah too because. Okay, okay, okay. I have, <laughs> I have you know. Levi, who actually, he's my oldest and he will be, he'll listen to this because he edits my podcast. Oh, hi, Levi. So he, uh, he's going to school in Logan in a couple years. So yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jason. Yeah. Are you looking to quickly and efficiently buy or sell agriculture products or get the word out about your ag event? Avoid the headaches of using non-ag marketplaces or classified sites and check out farmingtheweb.ca, Canada's best free classified site designed by and for Canadian farmers. Create your first listing and receive a $15 Tim Hortons gift card. Buy, sell, get back to work. Get started today and visit farmingtheweb.ca. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.